Welcome to Jack Theology. My name is Dr. Matt Murphy with my good friend, Dr. Kevin Young. Good to see you, man. Welcome. Here we go again. You're back from your conference. Yeah, back from Um, St. Louis to the uh, warm south. I'm glad to be back down here. Yeah. Yeah, you would think, at least where I live in New Jersey, you'd think St. Louis would be warmer. But actually, I've been to St. Louis twice, twice over the last couple of months, and it's actually colder. Yeah, it was uh, 60, like low 60s there, but like 40s at night. Uh, but I ride back to 83 degrees. And <laughs> PBI, as we taxied in, we passed Trump Force One right there on the tarmac. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, he, he, he parks it down here. So, yeah, it was like, oh, wait, there's Trump's plane. Hi. <laughs> That's crazy. Didn't see Trump. Yeah, though. when I. Well, when I went to visit you the one time, um, I uh, got delayed because Trump was there and we had to wait for him to take off. So good fun. Yeah. Now that he doesn't have the uh, the presidential call signs, I don't I don't know that it happens quite so much, but he's probably still, not. he's still a local celebrity in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. They probably shut it down to some extent, but not like they did when he was president. But. Um, cause I, yeah, anyways, that's a whole nother rabbit trail, but yeah, uh, let's, let's save politics. We have more than enough time to talk about politics, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's well, least- I was just going to say he still has a, a presidential security detail, uh, that they still have presidential, you know, protocols, but anyhow, um, yeah. So today there's a lot, a lot to get to. Yeah, um, there is. Um, but there, you know, before we get there, if you're, if, if you like Jack Theology, share it, um, yes, comment, like send it to your friends. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh, I wanted to ask you related to this is like you're out on the road and uh, for the first time really publicly um, since we, we started this journey with Jack Theology. I'm curious uh, some of your conversations around Jack Theology out there. Um, yeah, I had a uh, I had a few people I had a few people mention it. Anytime anybody comes up to me, though, now it's usually um, if if they know me at all, then it's hey, I uh, follow you on Twitter. <laughs> I always I always wonder what like the the second sentence after that is going to be because because you never know. Um, but but yeah, no um, no one I think had listened to Jack Theology that I talked to, but a few of them said that they knew that it was out there and we're gonna we're gonna check in on it so if um if you're new to jack theology welcome this is a an opportunity for matt and i usually to just kind of dive deeper into whatever whatever the conversation of the week is online or in social media so it's been it's been nice to be able to go beyond 280 characters with conversations here yeah i I think it's it's definitely a way for us to take what we're saying on this other socials and and expand upon it um so yeah welcome uh thanks for listening for those that do i know that that um we get some good feedback at times so thank you um today we wanted to talk about discuss came out yesterday um uh an article on um was it together i always get it could those two confuse together for the gospel or is it with no the gospel coalition the gospel coalition tgc right yeah they wrote released an article by josh butler and i think i believe it's a chapter from his new book that's being released um on kind of he used a metaphor for sex in the gospel i was going to try to pull up the title of it here do you remember what the title of it was maybe i didn't tweet it out tweeted a lot of comment retweeted a lot of comment about it out oh they uh they did they pull it, it? They pulled oh no it. there it is it's it's no longer the primary um it's no it's no it's no longer the primary featured article on on their website i was looking here and uh, trying to find it and i was like did they did they delete it did they pull it because i think they actually i think they pulled it once or twice because of all the negative comments that were on it so it went down and then they republished it, and then a whole bunch of new negative comments came up on it. But here it is. Um, Sex Won't Save You, But It Points to the One Who Will by, by Josh Butler. There it is. Yeah. 
Um, I I screenshotted the whole article in case they did take it down. <laughs> um, and the, probably the right move would be to take it down, but I don't think they are because they're um, they're not allowing comments anymore. No, they they shut that down last night. Um, I'm curious if they tweeted because one lady I retweeted. Oh, now it's back up. Yeah, you're right. They just took. Okay. Oh, no, it says this tweet has been deleted. So they deleted the tweet everybody was retweeting, and they posted it again, trying to be less conspicuous. Interesting. Yeah, it's a um, – well, I mean, <laughs> I have rarely – I don't know that I can say that I've ever seen a time where so many people who disagree about everything in Christianity are in unity that this is – really really bad i i'm i'm a little i'm I'm surprised that they have kept it up i'm surprised that they've not published a response um i'm guessing they perhaps will they were likely i would think caught off guard by it uh some people you know the the people who don't like the gospel coalition are saying you know there's there's no bad press and I, i do think that there is some truth to that but i do think that sometimes there can be enough bad press that it it, um, it wasn't it wasn't worth what you lost in order to receive the press, and I think you know because this one is tied to their new Keller Center for well, cultural engagement or what, whatever the the name of of their new kind of think tank cultural center is. This is um, you know it's tied to Tim Keller's name, which uh, takes it to a whole other level, I think. Yeah, um, so their their tweet that they put out, um, I had a screenshot of that too. Was a husband and wife's life of faithful love is designed to point to greater things, but so is their sexual union. Sex is an icon of salvation. That was the beginning kind of feeder to the article, and it just got worse from there. Um, I think calling sex as an icon of salvation um maybe you could do that um but you better you better watch yourself a bit and then the article what the most kind of eye-opening damning thing for me is if you're going to connect sex to salvation um you better have your metaphor straight and basically the salvation was and I'm not, I'm not being, you know, crass. The article is very crass. Um, is <clears throat> the woman's role is to pleasure the man, and the woman uh, should receive uh, the man's pleasure as generosity. Yeah, I mean, it, it says it in here. I mean, let's <laughs> just read the quote. You know, at, at a deeper level, generosity is not just giving your resources. You know, not just giving your money, your time, your talents. But generosity is giving of your very self. And then he goes on to paint this metaphor, what a deeper form of self-giving is there. So the deepest form of self-giving is a sexual union where the husband pours out his very presence, not only upon, but within his wife. I mean, he seriously has just said ejaculation of semen into your wife is the best picture of generosity that, that we have in the world of Christian generosity. I'm like, wait, did you just say that? There's no other way to interpret that line yeah, no. than that. And so, you know, it's like, okay, did he really mean that? Yes, he did. But the next paragraph, he talks about hospitality, which is what I guess the, the giving and receiving of, of generosity. And to that one, he says, here again, what deeper form of hospitality is there than a sexual union where the wife welcomes her husband into the sanctuary of her very self. So now paints this metaphorical picture of the best form of Christian hospitality being this image of a penis and a vagina. I just... Well, and... The woman has to welcome the man, right? It's this whole, it's very Mark Driscollian um, of the woman must please the man. Um, I, I, I read somewhere that like he would probably also consider hospitality uh, 
and generosity being him enjoying his wife's meal that she's cooked for him all day, which I don't think that's far from what he probably believes. Um, well, I mean, it just keeps then, going. He talks later about- down in the article, yeah, he compares uh, the male penis and male semen to Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the scriptures. Um, right? So, like, his penis is God. That's what he's saying. <laughs> that might be worth reading. Let me see. Yeah, you know, um, welcomed into the sanctuary of her very self, she gladly receives the warmth of his presence. Uh, he's already said that the word presence is essentially a semen. So, you know, the warmth of his presence is accepted as a sacrificial offering that he bestows upon the altar within her most holy place. I mean, he 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 compares the vaginal chamber to the holy of holies in the temple. I just. And his his and his uh, his and his pleasure is sacrifice. That, that Christ arrives in salvation to not only be with his church, but within his church. He, he literally has said that Jesus in the church is the penis in the vagina. Christ gives himself to his beloved with extravagant generosity, showering his love upon us and imparting his very presence within us. I just, <laughs> I mean, my grandma and aunts used to read these Harlequin romance books. And I will admit that as a kid, I was like, what is it about these things? Why are they trying to hide them? So I picked them up and I read them and there was like nothing in these books that was anywhere near what this guy has written metaphorically <laughs> about Jesus. I just, this is smut. I mean, and it's, it's weird. Um, I just feel dirty after reading it. And I, my, my sexual mores, my boundaries on these things are, I mean, they're like super broad. Uh, and, and maybe, I mean, we, we probably should just kind of have a conversation about sex and purity culture in the church, you know, as a part of our conversation today. But I think whenever people on liberal, progressive, conservative, fundamentalist, reformed, 1689 London Baptist whenever you have all of these folks coming together and saying this is not only bad theology but this is like pervert (laughs) you know level material bordering on blasphemy you you gotta take a step back from it and say was there not anybody who read this and thought maybe like that flinched maybe this isn't a good idea maybe we should second guess this and maybe maybe they did maybe it went through an approval process and it still passed through that to me is even worse because it says something about the state of a certain stream of Christian thinking that this doesn't throw up any red flags and makes it to the lead Um, story in the gospel coalition which is the it's it's like the the christianity today of reformed thinking you know it's it's uh, it, it's 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 the lead place you know there's no other place that you're going for for theology and affirmation of this level of thinking and it's just um I, it just blows my mind yeah it's uh so morgan I, I saw this today this morning that she posted this morning morgan strelo um and she talked about that. She said, it's easy to dump on TGC because many have come to expect from them a harmful theology of women. But here's the thing. The article is from a forthcoming book from a big five publisher that was acquired and edited by someone that I and 150 of my mutuals follow and respect on this app. The author's agent is a woman who reps some of the highest paid female Christian authors right now. This author will not just be platformed by... Um, TGC and, and if which is a another big evangelical conference thing I guarantee it he will be a top on top ring podcast speaking at highly attended events this is not fringe this is mainstream um, and and she goes on about how unacceptable this theology and harmful this theology is but it's not just like I, I think I don't think Josh Butler just posted this from his computer without other eyes being on it there's no way um this went through a whole process a whole system and it 
is symptomatic of, of broader and bigger issues. I think, you know, I think what they wanted to do, I, I'm just looking at circumstantial evidence now at this point. I think what they're trying to do, and, and, and especially since it's part of the Keller apologetics, is create a Christian sexual ethic to combat uh, the LGBTQI uh, conversation that's that's going on around us. And, and in this article, uh, you can kind of see where they're trying to build that into it. It's like, well, if we can establish that um, salvation is connected to sex between a man and a woman, then... Um, then we can argue from that place that sex between man and a man or woman and woman is actually against the gospel against, um, salvation. Um, that's fascinating to me. That's what I would, I think is what they're trying, they were trying to do. So Um, it's a tacit or not so tacit admission that the clobber passages for, uh, or the clobber passages against homosexuality, um, Sodom and Gomorrah, Paul, Romans chapter one, um, have failed them as being an ethic or a grammatical defense against um, the LGBTQ community. So they're saying, you know, there's no, um, these don't hold weight anymore, either in the court of public opinion, or they're admitting that they don't hold weight anymore, any, theologically. There's an admission that they've lied, you know, about the extent and the meaning of the anti-homosexuality passages. So I think your I think your guess is well placed and it's right. You can even see this, I think, in the article. Like, I, I don't think that that's a I, I, I don't know that that's even an educated guess. I, I think it essentially kind of outright says that uh, in the article that, um, yeah, this is this is our new defense for um, for hetero only relationships for a heteronormative um, outlook in scripture is that it's salvific in nature, which is, I, I mean, this is what happens, right? You know, the, the, the fallback for every illegitimate cultural issue that Christians have ever wanted to defend always has to become a salvation issue. It's, it's, it's the last stand. Uh, and it's, for them it's the deal breaker well if you don't believe this you're going to hell so it has to be tied to salvation uh we've seen this with with women we've seen this with slavery you know we've seen this with so many other issues over the years um and it's disgusting i'm just going to be honest it's disgusting yeah it it is i i think well you and i kind of got our minds wrapped into the scriptures and theologies behind all of these things and it's definitely in the last five to five years, especially maybe even longer where, where scholarship has advanced. We've, we've grown in our understanding of ancient language, ancient culture. And so, yeah, the conversation is shifting. Like they can no longer uh, intellectually, cause they want to be known as intellectuals, right? They want to be known as smart and academic and they've thought this through. They can no longer really point to the scriptures and say, you know, homosexuals are going to hell as homosexuality as we see it today. Um, and they can't do that with a straight face. So, yeah, they're reverting to, to you know, arguments from theology and philosophy, and they're trying to make this metaphor work. Um, perhaps <laughs> they, they, they could make this metaphor work. Uh, for their base. I mean, what's fascinating, you, you highlighted, and I wanted to highlight this even more, is even their base was speaking out against them. Like, yeah. They, they, they didn't even write this well to their base because it was so grotesque, so like erotic. Like, yeah, yeah uh, they went too far. I, I don't think that people necessarily were, I, I don't know, I don't what do you think? I, I, I didn't perceive that their base was necessarily arguing against the theology of it as much as they were arguing about just the, it just went too far, the perverted nature of it. Now, maybe there was qualms about the theology. I don't know that people necessarily differentiated those two things in, in their disgust and what they were saying, but I didn't, I didn't necessarily see anyone specifically condemning the theology itself from their base. Did you? Yeah, no, that's correct. I think but you lose points for making that argument because people aren't now thinking about the theology. I, I didn't yeah. even see 
people try to like help explain it. Maybe one or two crazy people that were trying to like, you know, nuance it for them. Yeah, but out of hundreds, I saw two people, and essentially they came yeah. off sounding like perverts. Yeah, <laughs> and because exactly. and, and, I, I'm, and I think that that's that's the problem of the position that they put themselves in is I think you're you're right. Um, they have a huge hill now to climb because they're not only now having to defend the theology, they're having to defend the perceived perversion of the theology, even among their base. And so uh, somebody commented, I don't know if it was on your wall or on your Facebook or mine, that um, they, they have an inside with the Gospel Coalition, somebody who works on the inside, and that this is a disaster, I think was the word that they used uh, behind oh, wow. the scenes. Uh, and so that was that was fascinating to me. Now, what that means, I don't know. Is it a PR disaster? Is it a theological disaster? Is it a book publishing disaster? Is it a Tim Keller, you know, cultural apologetic center disaster? I don't know what that means, but at least there seems to be some sense behind the scenes that this did not go the way that they thought it was going to go. <laughs> and and now now they've I'm sure had to pivot to figure out what the hell do we do, you know, with, yeah. with this response? But you were talking about this, and I want to ask you, Matt, um, whenever I first tweeted about this, I connected it to essentially it being the logical conclusion of a complementarian, evangelical complementarian theology, you know, headship, specific gender roles. I had a lot of folks in that camp who pushed back and said, this, that the, the gospel coalition are not complementarians. Is that true? Hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, they, they definitely are. I, yeah, I don't, okay. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, multiple people, you know, push back. I, was I, like, I, don't I, think I wouldn't call the gospel coalition complementarian. So I, I, I couldn't figure out if it was like they're not complementarian, which I think is wrong or if now the view of hardline fundamentalists is like the gospel coalition isn't complementarian enough <laughs> like now because yeah. you know they've had a few um they've had a few issues over even the past few weeks and months where you know what they published something about Ruth and Naomi being a a image or a metaphor for like lesbian relationships or something like that so it, i mean yeah. so they've had some um Along those lines of sexual ethics, they've they've had a few, they've had a few, a few broils, <laughs> broils over the last uh, few months. And so I wondered if maybe they're being abandoned by their own base in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, my perception would be like the Gospel Coalition. It probably doesn't have a specific stand or statement on that sort of thing. I think they they've tried hard just to make it about the gospel, and so defining what the gospel is, which would be a very evangelical, you know, substitutionary atonement gospel. Um, I think they're, they're a little bit more on the, they're not fundamentalists. So they they allow different viewpoints that fundamentalists get angry about. Um, and writers okay. to do that. Well, this but, makes a lot of sense. So maybe, maybe there was an egalitarian that wrote for the gospel coalition at some point, And so now they think, <laughs> uh, you know, I, don't I wonder. Know. I mean, even know. even hitching their wagon to Tim Keller, uh, Tim Keller has taken a beating uh, in the fundamentalist reform camps, you know, over the last few months. Yeah. And it's fascinating to me that you've got this Ruth and Naomi situation. Now you have this: uh, Jesus is a penis, and the Holy Spirit is semen <laughs> situation. And you've got Tim Keller now tied into this. And I, I wonder if what we're seeing is a. Uh, rejection of the gospel coalition from people who were in their base but have moved further right and further you know ultra reformed in their theology towards nationalism and some of these other things and if the gospel coalition isn't trying to leapfrog back into relevance uh, with with that base through things like this and if that was the if that was the plan the PR move it failed miserably. It was a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tim Keller helped start this. Um, Gospel Coalition? Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Well, um, well, then they are, they are, they are under the gun you know, a bit. Uh, yeah. To use a 2A metaphor. And, yeah. He and a few others. Um, I think Mahaney, Mahaney uh, was one. 
and Driscoll was part of it as well in the beginning. Um, anyways, I, I think, yeah, I think you're right about Keller. I think Keller having his name attached to this, um, and I don't think Keller, based on his writings on this sort of thing, I don't think he would be down for what was presented. So um, I'm just guessing maybe he's part of the, the – the storm uh who knows but yeah i'm glad that it's a storm that's actually encouraging to hear that like they're addressing this and i um i see they they actually i was just looking they took the tweet completely down um so i don't know if the article's still alive on on their website or not but yeah it is i just pulled it up okay the tweet the tweet is down um and the, the link to the article is down from socials so We'll see what they do. Um, but yeah, I think it brings up. So the complementarian view, th- this actually is at, like you, I think you said this, that is at the end of um, the logic of complementarism that, that male <laughs> parts is, is God. That what I want, my, you know, desires need to be fulfilled in, the marriage bed and that honestly is what i was taught growing up that the woman had to put out uh the reason why men would look outside the marriage is because the woman wasn't putting out it was her job to to satisfy the man and so this is like you know on brand for this type of view of of um sex uh, sexual ethic and that you know all of it you know we we can talk about sex outside of marriage if you want to but even in the article he talks about that that um you know you're, you're going to be lonely sex is lonely outside of marriage but you finally are fulfilled and you're no longer lonely when you're having sex in marriage he makes that argument at the beginning which i was taught completely that, that growing up that so you don't have sex outside of marriage it's a sin you're a failure you're going to be alone you know, your life's going to be in turmoil. (laughs) Basically, if you have sex outside of marriage, that leads to, you're going to be, you know, basically dead on the street, homeless because your life's just going to fall apart. Um, but if you have sex in marriage, um, it's all good and you're no longer lonely. Um, so I was reading this article to my wife today and I just was like, well, she, she saw me giggling. Um, cause I was laughing at some of the tweets that, that people are putting out about it. And, um, so I read her the article and I didn't like try to try to suggest anything to her. And she says, it sounds like this guy is giving permission for men to rape their wives. Um, and it's true. He is. Um, and it's sad because now pastors are going to take this and, um, they're going to teach this type of thing. They're going to counsel in this type of way. Um, and they're going to create abuse in, in marriages, um, that is, it's sad. It's sad, honestly. Yeah, no, I <clears throat> had multiple therapists online who uh, w- were just undone. You, you know, you just tell they were angry, perplexed, frustrated because they see they see women all the time, you know, in their counseling chairs who are in relationships where this kind of theology is prevalent in the relationship and it it leads to abuse it leads to sexual abuse it leads to relational abuse it leads to emotional abuse uh and that's the end result you know taken taken to the end of the road of of many of these complementarian theologies and why why is that well i mean these are theologies that come out of patriarchy you know these are theologies that come out of misogyny social misogynist social context i mean what he has essentially advocated for here is a fertility cult where religion is based upon and shaped around sex and fertility and he diminished salvation by essentially putting salvation underneath sex <laughs> the the priority of the lead is sex. The, the the leading theology and leading metaphor here is the sex, and everything else kind of points to that. Rather than, which I think is still ridiculous, rather than saying that sex, it just points to to the. I just 
It's it's Old Testament fertility cult. It's exactly what Paul was decrying in Romans chapter one. Um, if you read the entirety of Romans chapter one, Romans chapter one is usually used to try to say that Paul and, and God are against homosexual relationships. But what if you read the entirety of the chapter in context, what Paul is against is against the same thing that Josh Butler has written here, and that is the use of sex and fertility, fertility and our bodies um, in a way that is abusive to ourselves and to each other and worshiping something other than the one true God. Uh, and that is exactly what, what Josh Butler is advocating for here. And so it's not, um, it's not a theology of sex. What he's given us here is a theology of rape, a theology of abuse, a theology of patriarchy and misogyny. And he did it in an explicit, a sexually explicit way. And I think that this is why people from all streams and all spectrums are looking at this and are just, their jaws are on the floor. Because it's not, it's not defending sex or Christianity. It's it's defending a whole lot of dirty, perverted theologies, and practices, and thinking, and trying to masquerade it as being Christian and of Christ and holy. And it's like, dude, the emperor has no clothes here. How are, how are you not seeing this? How does anybody who looked at this article and gave it the green light? not seeing this. The only way you cannot see this is if you are so steeped in a broken and toxic theology already that your sensors are no longer triggered by things that are unholy, that are evil, that are sinful, that are toxic. And that is the end result of complementarianism. They are complementarians and that is the end result of their theology. And they have been so far down the rabbit hole of complementarian theology, which is misogyny and patriarchy based that they no longer have triggers or warning bells going off on their heads when they read something like this. And that's terrifying. Yeah, you're right. I mean, multiple people, you know, as I, we, we talked about, multiple people read this, approved it. It's like, wow, they, they, they didn't pause to see like, what is this really saying? What is, how are people gonna read this? Um, yeah, just straight awful. And he kept in the article saying, you know, men and women have distinct roles, and which is a common phrase when a complementarian is teaching. Um, but the only role he gave the woman was to re- was to take what the man was giving her, which was his pleasure. Um, like there was nothing like, well, the man should also pleasure his wife in the same way uh, that he was just pleasured. No, it was none of that. Um, and which, which was fascinating to me, which, you know, is it reveals what they truly think that um, the woman is just a body for them to a get off on. Yeah. A woman is, is nothing more than a physical receptacle for, for their presence. It's yeah. disgusting. Just yeah. absolutely gut-wrenchingly disgusting, perverted, nasty, ridiculous. Uh, if I'm their wives or the wives of men who, who think that anything like this is, I, I'm as a therapist, I'm advocating for you to get divorced. <laughs> this is, yeah. Yeah. this is messed up thinking, trying to tie itself to Jesus and to God. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's insanity. Like when you're when you're when you're saying that your penis and your semen is Jesus, the scriptures and the Holy Spirit, um, then you've lost your way. <laughs> you, you have lost your way. Um, unbelievable. And um, uh, it just it, it revealed like the scriptures. Yeah. Well, another revelation here is for them. It's the scriptures is equal with god it's part of the holy trinity it's part it's the fourth member of the the quad whatever you call it um quadrilateral yeah quadrilateral it's uh, not the not uh, trinity anymore you know when you have a four or godhead um and they don't even read their bible correctly um so you know that's, we've talked about that a lot but. yeah no let's uh, t- i, I want to talk about that because you kind of referenced this a little bit earlier with 
sex outside of marriage and anybody who's been in the Christian subculture, especially the evangelical subculture for any length of time, understands there's this whole theology and conversation and thinking behind a purity culture, which is, you know, sex outside of marriage, um, lust, masturbation. Uh, There's there's lots of tentacles, you know, that that go into lots of other areas on this. And, And, you know, I've been trying to think and and I we didn't even talk about whether or not we were going to talk about this. So this is kind of springing this on you. But I, I'm trying to think of places in Scripture, if there are any or how many there are, where sex is tied to um, holiness or godliness or, or metaphorically. Uh, and, and I couldn't think of any. Like, I know that there are like secondary ideas where perhaps marriage or, or relationships with each other, these things, you know, we have like the bride of Christ as, as a metaphor for the relationship between Jesus and his church. And so, you know, there are some of these, um, I think, secondary illustrations and metaphors about kind of relationships, you know, even marriage being tied to theology and, and salvation. But, but I couldn't think of, of anywhere literal sex you know, intercourse was in any way, shape, or form discussed or, or tied to, you know, a relationship, you know, with God or or the, theologically. Yeah, I mean, I think um, there's not because there's been a lot of different views throughout the years. Um, you know, Augustine, I believe it was Augustine, you know, thought the sexual ethic was only only have sex even in marriage just to procreate um that was the only purpose that it wasn't for pleasure um you obviously had paul who you know he wasn't explicit about it but you know he was always like it's better not to have any relationship yeah um but marriage is you know a sacrament it's a you know it it does reveal the gospel because you know you're you're committing, you're covenanting, or God is covenanting with his people. You're right, but is, marriage, but is marriage sex? No, no. I, I mean, this no, is because I, yeah. I think, you know, growing up, um, there was this straight line tied between marriage and sex. Like, like you could almost use the words interchangeably. And part of the, you know, I think the negative conversations about divorce, um, adultery, the negative conversations about um premarital sex, about masturbation, all these things were, were because there was like this direct link that whenever marriage was mentioned or talked about in scripture, that essentially sex, that, that those things were co-equal. Yeah. Well, I think the purity culture definitely made them co-equal because we said, you know, do not have sex outside of marriage or you're going to die. Um, and so we didn't, but of course we're human and we want to have sex. So our, our idea for marriage was, well, that's where I get to have sex. Um, and we didn't teach people how to actually be married. We didn't teach people how to look for a spouse. We just taught people, well, find one that you want to have sex with. And then, you know, we didn't even teach people, we didn't even teach people about sex. No, just (laughs) most evangelical parents aren't having the birds and the bees talk with their kids and they're pulling their kids out of the health classes that have those conversations. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's so true. And, and I think that's why, like, so many these Christian colleges, like, there's so much, you know, young marriages. I mean, my wife and I are part of that statistic. I mean, and we would both tell you we got married because we wanted to have sex. And so we're sitting there, you know, um, we, you know, on our wedding night, weekend, honeymoon, first year of marriage, we had no idea what we were doing. In fact, there was a lot of guilt and shame in it as well because, we have been told not to do this thing our whole lives. And all of a sudden we're like, well, now we get to do it. But we just, there was a lot of, there was a lot of issues that came out of that. And, and we only, we would, we say, we share this a lot. We only got married because we wanted to have sex. And so, um, you know, you kind of set up, set up to fail when it's that way. Cause we, we weren't taught like how to actually have a relationship together, how to have, um, a friendship before marriage, those sorts of things. I think, uh, we had to learn all those things after we were married. And so I think the, the church, and I do this in my own counseling now, is like 
I don't really even talk about sex that much. Like it's more about building a relationship, building a covenant together. It's about, um, that that's what it should be about. That's what we should be telling kids. We should be teaching kids how to have actually friendships and relationships and commitments and following through. I think that's a better uh, way of doing it. A lot of my friends and I, we've discussed this. How are we going to talk about, um, I mean, I talk about sex, the birds and bees with my kids, but how are we going to talk about like sex outside of marriage? What does that look like? Are we just going to tell them flat out? No. Are we going to like, like we grew up with, uh, or, you know, what's that look like? And I think where I've concluded, at least right now is, well, if you're going to have sex with somebody, um, you know, it, it, it shouldn't just be about the sex. It should be about, um, it's, it's a, it's an outpouring of a friendship. It's an outpouring of, of a love and a care for someone. And so if you're, if you're going to have sex with someone, um, what I've been teaching is, um, you should understand what that means as far as your commitment to that person that you're, uh, are you willing to spend the rest of your life with that person kind of thing? Um, and so like kind of understanding the responsibility of pouring yourself out, your presence out, um, <laughs> Uh, and you know, <laughs> that's, that's, because what new, happens, that's the new word. Yeah. The presence. What happens, what happens when, uh, you know, you have sex with somebody and then there's a baby, like, um, kids need to understand like what, what's going on. Are you, is there, there needs to be a healthy commitment. So like I, talking about commitment, talking about love, what actually love is, what covenant it is, um, and making that the priority, um, rather than. Don't ever have sex, you know. Um, so you're you're that, not telling you're not telling your kids no premarital sex, specifically. You're, specifically, you're, you're, yeah. You're going, you're going at it a different direction, trying to give them. I'm handles. attempting something different. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. Giving them handles for <laughs> not making the assumption they're not going to, and then just avoiding the conversation. But uh, you, I, but this is. I know for uh, probably a portion of the folks who listen to this, that's uh, that's a tough message to to swallow. <laughs> oh man, we probably should let that part out. <laughs> Uh, Why? <laughs> the presence of the Lord is in this place. Uh, but I mean, you know, Matt, I think that we have to. The Bible does not say no to premarital sex. The Bible does not say no to masturbation. You know, the Bible does not have this puritanical framework built around sex uh, and the body. Can you build a puritanical framework that supports no masturbation, no premarital sex? I mean, yeah, you can because people have built those frameworks for years off of things in the Bible. You can build frameworks for anything, you know, out of yeah. out of scripture that you, that you want. We see that all the time. You can... You can build frameworks, you know, for Jim Jones and, and the end of the world and, and left behind. You know, I mean, you can build a framework for literally anything out of scripture, uh, depending on how far you're willing to go and bend the text. But at the end of the day, there's no prohibition directly against any of these things in scripture. And so to try to say that scripture directly prohibit, prohibits these things, um, just, just outright, you know, my first question is, could you point to the verse that says that? And you can't. You have to get there by building a theological framework. You can't just point to the place that says that. But yet we teach it to others. We hold to it ourselves as though it's a thus saith the Lord. And that's a really super dangerous place to be. Because the end of the road, it leads to articles like Josh Butler's, where you're building this entire fertility cult abusive um, framework for sex uh, that is not at all based upon scripture, but it's based on something else. And, and you know, sex is, <laughs> I don't think sex at all is a metaphor for holiness or, or for the church. I just don't. I don't see that 
anywhere in scripture. And so to raise sex to this level, I'm not saying it's unimportant, but to raise sex to this level of of holiness or, or sacredness. I, I don't, I understand why marriage is a sacrament, but sex isn't marriage. Yeah. So no, to raise sex to, to this level, um, the Bible doesn't do that, except the Bible raises sex to that level of priority whenever sex is misused or abused. And it's not when sex is misused or abused in ways that are masturbatory, that are premarital sex, that are, you know, in loving, committed relationships. It's whenever sex is raised to this level of abuse in ways like Josh Butler and complementarian raise sex to the level of to it being an idol of worship. And and this is what's going on here. Sex has for large swaths of evangelicalism beca- has become an idol, something that is Worshipped, something that is holy, something that is sacred, something that is other, rather than something that is simply a bodily function. And uh, I think Josh Butler, complementarianism, people who place sex and puritanical thinking about sex in, in those realms, find themselves in places like Romans chapter one, where Paul is decrying the use of the body as being a uh, worship of, of idolatry. Yeah. Um, yeah. And feel free to completely disagree with me. But well, I they just... said it in the opening tweet that sex is an icon for salvation. It's literally icon is idol. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah. I, I think, yeah, Paul speaks out against that. I think... Yeah, it's it's very obviously very perverse. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that you know the scripture is silent on masturbation and premarital sex for sure. I think there's definitely a, a Christian ethic that I would support is you know not to be a whoremonger, you know, sleeping around and yeah, exactly. No, I, I yeah. absolutely agree. I think there yeah. it's it's not a you know do whatever you want whenever you want, um, but but I think as with anything, you know, when we're talking about you know the seven deadly sins, we're talking about gluttony or or lust or pride or or any of these things. Um, it, it's not as though you know gluttony. It's not as though eating is bad or wrong, but it is the abuse of eating uh, in order to soothe brokenness elsewhere in our lives, you know, that is wrong. That makes it one of the seven deadliest. Lust. Okay. Sex. Let's list, let's list sex under the lust category. It's not sex that is wrong. It's not masturbation that's wrong. It is the misuse or abuse of that because of something that is broken or deficient in ourselves uh, that needs fixing is where it becomes sin. Now, where are the lines in that? I think the lines are different for each person, just like the lines are different for each person. Uh, for one person, you know, carbs and sugar, you know, chocolate and ice cream. I, I mean, it's gluttony. For other people, it's not at all because it's not tied to, to it. So I agree. I, I think that there has to be a sexual ethic as much as there has to be a a food intake ethic, as much as there has to be an ego pride ethic. But to raise that one to a point where we are at a puritanical, idolatrous of the thing itself place is, um, I think it's a bridge too far. And so I, I appreciate you pointing out the fact that it's not as though, you know, we're saying, you know, there's, there's, it's the wild west, you know, there's no, there's yeah, no rules, yeah. there's no yeah. boundaries here. But I think we have to question where are the boundaries and why are they there? And are those boundaries that, that are based upon um, really biblical teaching and, and Christ-likeness, or are those boundaries that are placed there because of of some other thing? I, I mean, uh, these guys <laughs> are so sexually repressed, it's coming out in ways that are um, toxic and perverted and disgusting. I mean, therapists, like psychologists are going to read this. They would have a heyday with this guy, and he's not alone in his yeah, in his thinking. Yeah. Um, and and this is whenever we walk down that road where sex is bad, and we have this purity culture, and we try to hold it in this very tight, um, constrictive place where we idolize it, but we try not to touch it, but we end up touching it anyways. 
there go the metaphors again. <laughs> like it, it leads to like what you said in marriage where, you know, where it makes it difficult to enjoy it within these small narrow boundaries that you've been told you're allowed to because it's been this thing that has been off limits, that's been untouchable, that's been um, disallowed from you. And so you can't just reframe your thinking on this in a turn. So you've got that being an outgrowth of repression and bad theology. And you've got this kind of stuff with Josh Butler where it ends up being abuse and misogyny and, and repressed because you know, it, well, starts, it right. starts a whole lot yeah. earlier in life in conversations about masturbation and premarital sex and that the boundaries within marriage being the only place where things can be enjoyed and it can only be enjoyed in certain ways inside of marriage. And really it's only the man who's supposed to enjoy it anyway. The woman's just there essentially to allow the man to enjoy himself. Like it's just all of this terrible toxic teaching that is not based on scripture, but that has been presented as uh, as Nije said a few weeks ago about a different topic, but the same, it's been, it's been sold as a package deal, you know? Here's all of this. Here's what the Bible teaches on all of this. And it's just mostly lies and smoke and mirrors and deception. Yeah. Well, I think we, if we want to, kind of the response to the purity culture, I think needs to be calling people to be like Jesus, like to the gospel. Like when it comes to relationships, you know, you're coveting, you're sacrificing, you're you know, you are putting yourself out there to lay down your life for the sake of others. Those are the images of relationships that Christ gives us, that Paul gives us. But yet, you know, we just focus on, you know, one moral thing that we think needs to happen. Right. And into your, your, your health and fitness analogy, like the best way to motivate people they found is to like set a, set a goal for like, a fitness goal, you know, I want to lift so many pounds or I want to do a pull up or, you know, I want to run a 5k fill in the blank. Right. And then after that is set, you know, then all the other stuff kind of falls into place because if I'm going to do that, then certain things I can't put in my body, I can't do these things. Um, and it becomes kind of a natural outflow. So the, the motivation's different. Um, and then there's a lot of freedom in that too, because, you know, like you say, like some people, this is fine for others. It's not, or it's okay to indulge in a, in a, you know, a cake every now and again, if you're got a sweet tooth, it's okay. Rather than making a rule where I can never have a cake. Um, and then you're scared to have cake after you're, you accomplish your goal. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I think we looked at it all wrong. We've abused, we've abused the system. I think, um, people are going to be mad at us if they actually listen this far for having a different sexual ethic. It's it's funny that everyone kind of agrees the purity culture wasn't the greatest thing, but yet we still try to keep doing it. Um, we haven't really thought through a different ethic. And I will say, what is up with evangelical Christians constantly wanting to talk about sex? Like, it is everywhere, and it's constant, and... Like just, you know, last week you probably saw this, like the, the preacher from Harris Baptist Church down in Texas talking about, you know, the perfect woman who's, you know, hitting on him at the bar or whatever. And it's just like. Never happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never yeah. happened. I'll Completely take, made up. I'll take things that never happened for a thousand, Alex, right? Um, but still, like even the fact that he's talking like that, like very, very crass, very crass. Um, doesn't apologize for it. And then I did a little, you know, rabbit trail researching the guy. And it's like, he's constantly talking about sex, like constantly. And all these guys are, um, so I, 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 I agree. It's repressed stuff that they, they haven't dealt with. And yeah. And the sexual dysfunction comes out in multiple ways. And in pastors, it comes out in their sermons and behind the scenes in the abuse that you don't find that you don't know about, but one day comes out. Because their wives yeah, weren't enough. Yeah, and the their spouses weren't enough, work. you know, to um, to fix their dysfunction, you know, which isn't the wife's body's job, you know, to fix her husband's dysfunction and perversion. It's not why it's there, Josh. Sorry. 
her sanctuary. Oh, don't man. don't be bringing your dirty penis into her sanctuary. You know, keep keep your perverted penis and thinking out of her most holy place. Like keep, your, pre- keep your presence to yourself. I mean, just go go <laughs> go, go to a therapist and you? get your go to go to a psychologist and get your presence fixed. <laughs> and, and then go find her most holy place. But her most holy place isn't going to fix your psychological issues. And you've got them. Oh, my God, you've got psychological issues. It's, it, you're, it's, it's, spilling out of, it's spilling out of your presence, and it's also spilling out of the ink that you're using to write shitty articles like this. There, I said it. <laughs> oh, man. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to edit this one heavily, aren't we? <laughs> I'll never sing the blessing again. I mean, but you know, for the, my hey, I was I was pure. I had never had sex before. Um, Sally and I got married. Sally, to her word, had not um, either. And uh, unlike most evangelical, you know, kids who that's their story, we, we learned pretty quickly and I don't think had the problems that a lot of other folks did. Uh, but we were out of the ordinary there. Uh, do I want that 1950s fake um, storyline, you know, magical fairy tale story for my four kids? Yeah, I do. Um, but because it was beautiful for Sally and I, not because that's what God said was holier or more sacred or more perfect than some other story or some other journey. I mean, I want that for my kids because I know that oftentimes what what comes alongside many of um, those, you know, premarital sex relationships is a lot of brokenness and a lot of struggle and a lot of heartache. But it doesn't often happen that way either for people. Uh, for a lot of people, that is a road of joy uh, and, and, a, and a totally different road than, than brokenness or, or heartache. You know, sex outside of marriage doesn't, that's not always the narrative or the storyline. So, you know, I, I think we can say that the Bible has things to say about this and how we use our bodies and ourselves and, and sex and what we give them to and, and what we keep them from. And I have things that I think uh, are wise, you know, ethically and, and morally for my kids and for me. The, the difficulty is whenever I get those two things mixed up, whenever I begin to think that my social constructs and my sexual ethics are God's sexual ethics, and then I begin to abuse and rewrite God's sexual ethics to fit my sexual ethics and then expect other people um, to view God and sexual ethics in the same way. That's that's the space I think where we're talking about is being vulnerably and uncomfortably transparent about what the Bible does and does not say on this, and then trying to unravel that and say we can we can still build these frameworks, but we have to build these frameworks with um, we, we just got to take a step back from this and say that God does not give sex. <laughs> the same kind of power and idolatry and holiness and sacredness that we have given it not even close and and we have to we have to do something with that like like that requires a response from us in the way that we um, manage and view and handle these things yeah um, I just was seeing what the gospel coalition put out anything else they haven't but I saw in here this guy who wrote it is doing a seven-week virtual cohort on the beauty of the Christian sexual ethic. <laughs> oh man, I, there's some. I just, yeah, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to make judgments about. I'll only make judgments about what he said, not how he. I, yeah, no, it just, I, I just reiterates the point that like, why are we so focused on, on sex? Like it it seems to be everywhere you know um if you're a popular evangelical you you need to have a book on sex well, we've been doing it for years matt i mean it's not christianity i mean the canaanites did it you know i mean you go back to the old testament all of these you know tribes you know very tribal you know you know all, many of these things fertility called centered on sex and 
in a lot of ways, there are large segments of evangelicalism uh, of Christianity that essentially are fertility cults that are focused more on sex than on Jesus. And um, these dudes are are not hiding it anymore because we live in a culture where it's okay to be public with anything. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but it also has allowed Christians and these guys like this to be public and feel free to be public with the, the, their deepest perversions and hangups. And, um, yeah, I think we see, we're just becoming more aware of what already was there. I think that's a good point. Um, and which I think, you know, when you bring light to situations, you, you can, I think, find healing, justice, all those things. So hopefully uh, we, we get better. Um, this was definitely, definitely a jacked theological. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>